Well, good afternoon. That's going to be hard to follow up. Uh, <laughs> we spoke at a church a couple of weeks ago that did a children's thing, and she was the lady was trying to show how they had been teaching the children the gospel. And they asked a, a girl who's probably five, six years old, you know, so where do you go when, when you die? Hawaii. <laughs> then no, it's the best place you can think of. Hawaii. <laughs> so the kid stuff is always awesome. Uh, thank you all very much for the chance to come here. This has definitely been my first uh, four o'clock service that I've ever spoken at. This is really cool. Um, most of you, I don't know. I don't know any of you that well, but I've spoken at the church a couple times before over the years, and there's a lot of new faces. So it's great that the church is growing. And like Nathan said, my wife Julie and I work in Peru in the Amazon jungle through an organization called Church Planning International. And we are in the U.S. right now through the end of February, speaking at churches. And it's been four years since we've been back, so it was time to come back and see people. So this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about what we do and why we do it, but I don't want it to just be about our ministry and explaining that. I want to hopefully help you all see your place in the Great Commission as well, both here locally and abroad. So this will be somewhat of a ministry presentation and sermon mixed together, and hopefully it'll turn out well. So to begin, I always like to give a little bit of context about our ministry, because whenever I say we're missionaries to the Amazon jungle working with tribal groups, you all probably don't really know what that entails, right? Like, are we running around in loincloths? Are we swinging from trees? What are we doing? So has anyone here ever been to the Amazon jungle? I've had a surprising amount of people raise their hands in churches recently. No one. Okay. So I'll tell you about the Christian context. So I first went back in 2013, way back when I was still young, and I had these big dreams to take the gospel to these uncontacted or unreached groups, plant churches, and get the name of Jesus where no one had ever heard. And when I got there, I spent the first two years doing a research project trying to figure out what those tribes were because there were other missionaries like me that were going down wanting to work with tribes, but no one really knew which tribes needed what help, which tribes already had churches, which ones were doing okay, that sort of thing. So I spent my first two years trying to figure that out, talking with dozens and dozens of tribes, believers, pastors, missionaries, and at the end of that time, something really, really interesting came up. The majority of the tribes in the Amazon jungle already have churches. And that's weird to think about, right? That all of these tribes in the middle of nowhere in the Amazon, some of them have had 50 or 100 years of evangelistic work that's been done. But the strangest thing about that to me was most of these churches were really, really weak. I mean, in the extreme cases, you would see the witch doctor as the pastor. And it makes sense, right? He's a spiritual leader in the tribe. Why would he not be a spiritual leader in the church? And that's when I started to connect the dots these churches were weak because they hadn't been discipled. So typically, because it's really hard to get the gospel to these groups, it's hard to be in a tribe, right? Typically, a lot of short-term trips had been made, and a lot of good work had been done, a lot of faithful gospel teaching. But teaching the gospel to someone who's never heard it for a week, leaving them with the Bible that they can't read, and leaving and never going back, that creates a lot of problems. So please don't hear me say that short-term evangelism is, is bad or anything. That's awesome work. It just needs to be followed up with discipleship. And typically in our context, it hasn't been. So at the end of my first two years, I was really struggling between, man, should I stay and do what I always felt called to do and church plant in areas that don't have the gospel? 
Or should I stay and try to train up these pastors and church leaders to help the churches that do exist be healthy? And it was at the end of this time that the Lord showed us a way that we could do both through a tribe called the Matzais, like Nathan's already mentioned today. But before I talk more about that, I want to jump into the sermon part. So we're going to be in Acts 19, verses 8 through 10. Acts 19, 8 through 10. Could someone read this, please? I learned this trick in the jungle churches. They always have someone read to make sure people don't fall asleep. So, could someone read Acts 19, 8 through 10? Sure, thank you. Thank you. So that's really why I didn't want to read it. It's got some hard words to pronounce. You did a good job. <laughs> yeah, so to summarize what's going on here, Paul had just gotten to Ephesus, and we see in verses 1 through 7 that he met some of John the Baptist's disciples. And he takes some time to fully explain the gospel, and then Paul did what Paul always did. He went to the Gentiles or to the Jews. He went to the Jews. He went to the synagogue. He was there for three months. Some believed, some didn't. So they kicked him out. But Paul didn't leave the city. He just left the synagogue and went to the Gentiles who wanted to hear. So from this, I want to make two quick points. So point one, we do not need to give up on the people that reject the gospel. But we should focus on the people who accept it. We don't need to give up on those who reject it, but we should focus on those who accept it. So we have seen in the verse that we read right before I got up, that Paul also went to the synagogue, went to the Jews, right? And if you read through Acts, we like to think of Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles, and he was, but he was always going to the Jews first when they would kick him out. Then he would go to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles would always be receptive. Paul was not a man who gave up on the Jews. He was a Jew. They were his people. We see in Romans, Paul says that he was willing to be cut off from Christ and salvation if it meant that his people, the Jews, would accept Christ. He never gave up on them, but he's known as the apostle to the Gentiles for a reason, right? Because Paul did not spend the bulk of his time with the Jews. They were hard-hearted, didn't want to hear, kicked him out. Paul spent the majority of his time working with the Gentiles who had hearts that were eager to hear the gospel. And I think that's really important for us here as well, because I guarantee every single person here has someone in their life, someone in their family, in their job, in their school, who rejects the gospel, doesn't want to hear anything about Christ. Anytime you bring up the Bible, church, they don't want to hear it. But then we probably have someone in our lives, a coworker, or a fellow student, who's always asking you questions. I know back home, I'm the Christian of the family because I'm the only one that actually attends church. So I, from some of them, will get questions like, hey, what about this about the Bible and this about the Bible? These are people in our lives that God has put there that ask us, basically, tell me the gospel. Right? So that's not to say that we should reject these people in our families or friends that don't want to hear anything about it. We should pray for them. We should labor in prayer for them and look for opportunities to tell them about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. 
But I think we should focus on the people that God has strategically put in our lives that are asking questions, that are hungry to hear about Jesus. That make sense? And this is something that Julie and I have tried to apply to our ministry with the Matzes as well. So I said that most of the tribes have weak churches. So when we first met the Matzes, it seemed very similar. They've got 19 villages and 17 churches. And they've got a really strong foundation built on the gospel. They understand that they are sinners apart from Christ. They need to have faith and repentance to be saved. They got that. But they don't really have much built on that foundation. They don't know much about the Bible. They don't know how to live out the Christian life. Very similar to these other tribes. But the difference is the Matzes recognize that and they want help. So while these other tribes are saying, yeah, we're okay. Which doctor's the pastor? But we're fine. The Matzes are saying things like, we don't know how to live out the gospel and we want to. We don't understand the Bible. We don't know how to read it. Will you please send someone to tell us? So they were literally begging for people to go in and teach them the Bible. And whenever Julie and I were first taking short-term trips to visit them, there would be people that would travel several days by canoe just for a few days of biblical teaching. These are people that are hungry for the word. They want discipleship. They want biblical teaching. And it's not that these other tribes don't need, they don't need the gospel. They don't need teaching. They do. But like the Jews, right, they don't see the need. The Matzes do. So we decided to be where the people actually want us there, right? And they actually see their need. So the second point I want to make from the text is that the gospel spreads rapidly when God's word is taught long-term in strategic locations. The gospel spreads rapidly when God's word is taught long-term in strategic locations. So this is a lot easier to understand now that we're in a COVID world, right? So I'm from a small hillbilly town in East Tennessee where everyone has 20 acres of land and no one lives next to each other. COVID gets there, it doesn't spread. But if COVID gets to a New York City and Atlanta, these places with big international airports, it goes throughout the world in a couple of days, right? We get this now. This is something that Paul understood as well. Ephesus was a big hub city in Asia Minor. That's where people would come in to study, to work, to do all kinds of things, and then they would go out to the countryside. They would leave. They would scatter. So I think it's really interesting that verses 9 and 10 say that he spent how many years there? I ask questions. How many years was he there? Two years. So how is it that verse 10 says, He was there two years with daily teaching sessions so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. If Paul is there daily for two years teaching every day, how is it that all of Asia heard the word of the Lord? Because Paul chose a strategic city. He took the time to train up the believers there to make disciples. And then as they went to their jobs, their families, as they scattered throughout the countryside, they took the gospel with them. They realize that it's not just Paul who's a missionary. We are all missionaries to the people that God has put in our lives. So Bartlett is not a huge hub city, right? Memphis, kind of. But you all may feel like you don't have these connections like that. You're not going to be reaching people that are all over the world like Paul did. But you are coming here week after week. You're hearing the word taught. You're being part of the church. You're being discipled. And do you stay here throughout the week? No. 
you scatter. You go to your homes, your jobs, your schools, your families. Take the gospel with you. You come here, you're being built up, not for your own personal benefit only, but to be witnesses for Christ in the places that he has put you. So I hope that encourages you, right? That you don't have to be a missionary overseas to do the Lord's work, right? God has put you in these relationships that you have to shine the light of Jesus, to preach the gospel to these people. So please take advantage of that. And it's probably obvious, but the other thing that sets the Matzes apart is their location. They have a very strategic location for the Great Commission. When you look at the map, you don't see it. They're in the middle of nothing in the Amazon jungle. They're right on the border of Peru and Brazil, and the border is the river. It's north to south. You've got villages on each side, Brazil, Peru, Brazil, Peru. But while they're in the middle of nowhere, on the Brazilian side is the highest concentration of uncontacted tribes in the world. So everywhere else in the world, Africa, Asia, you've got one here, one there, one here, one there. Here in this Brazilian reserve, there's at least 14 all right here close together. And it's illegal to go in and contact them. It's illegal to do anything with them. Except for the Matzais. The Matzais are also tribal. They're indigenous. It's part of their territory. They can go in, do anything they want. And they do not want to take them the gospel. There are still Matzais around that are still living uh, that were alive whenever they made contact with the outside world 52 years ago. And they remember, we used to kill the people that tried to make contact. So they've told those stories to the younger people. They've told the stories to the church. So the church knows if we go and do this, they may kill us. And they don't know how to make disciples in their own tribe. So why in the world are they going to risk their lives to do it? Right? I mean, how many of us would be willing to risk our lives to get the gospel to these people? It's a hard ask. But to sum all of that up, the one thing that the Matzais lack to be able to get the gospel to these groups is discipleship, is biblical training so that they understand that the Great Commission is worth it, that the gospel is worth risking our lives for. And the one thing that will get them to that point is discipleship, the one thing that they are begging people for. So I'm not very good at math, but one and one seems like two in this case to me. If we disciple them, train them up, that the Lord will use them to get the gospel to these people. And we're Christians here, so this may not be a ca- the case, but I actually even have in, had in churches some people say, yeah, but should we really be trying to make contact? I mean, these tribes, they've got these Garden of Eden-like cultures. They don't want to be contacted. Who are we to mess with that? And I get that, right? That's what we hear on National Geographic. That's what we hear all the time in the, in the culture. But the Matzais are a fantastic example of why that is wrong. So their biggest holiday every year is, they call it the contact day, the day that they were contacted by missionaries 52 years ago. So they spend a week-long celebration where they dress up like, well, they more dress down <laughs> like their ancestors do. Uh, they strip down, they paint up, and they reenact the contact. So they've got a wooden airplane that they take around and they throw spears at it, and it's really cool. And all of the old guys who are in their you know, 80s, 90s now who made contact, they take turns telling the story from their perspective. And they all say how they used to live in constant fear. And they were known for genocide. Like they would brutally murder other tribal groups. 
The only people they wouldn't murder were the women who they would keep as slaves. They did horrible, horrible things. And all of these other tribes did too. So they would attack anyone they saw, not because they wanted to be left alone, but because they thought, they're going to do this to us, so I have to do it to them first. And so when the missionaries came in and preached this gospel of peace with God and peace with one another through Christ, that's what they longed for most. They wanted peace. And that's what these other uncontacted groups want too. They don't run away when they see you because, no, leave me alone. It's because they think you're going to attack them. Right? They desperately want peace. And as we can see, right, like the worst of mankind is in these uncontacted groups. They are also committing genocide. They are slavery. They're all these horrible, horrible things because they don't have the gospel. So our prayer is that the Matzes can get the gospel to them. And specifically, we're trying to do that through training up their pastors and church leaders. And COVID really threw us off in this for a while. But thank the Lord, last year in March, we were able to start the Matzes Bible Seminary with 23 students. So we just completed the first year of that, of three years. And our prayer is that in two more years that these men will graduate and that the Lord will call some of them to take the gospel to these groups. We also hope that he'll call some of the others to be teachers to help teach the next round of students and I can slowly back out of a teaching role and it can be all Matzes led and run. So worst case scenario in this, the Matzes will have solid, strong churches. Best case scenario, they get the gospel to these uncontacted groups. And if we're successful in this, something really cool could happen. There are more or less about 100 uncontacted groups left in the world. 14 live next to the Matzes. So if this can happen, we can get the gospel to 14% of the world's uncontacted population, which is crazy to think about, right? And I don't want to make that sound like, oh, this year it's going to happen. I mean, this is going to take likely decades of hard work and prayer. But we're really excited about it. And we've been really excited to see the way that the Lord has raised up these 23 students and how they've progressed this year and how they're learning. But like I said earlier, they're not the only tribe that has a weak church. So all of our eggs were in the Matzes basket, you could say. But COVID happened and we had to be out of the village for a year. Peru had a really strict lockdown. We couldn't travel. So we were trying to find ways to be more involved in things in the city So now we're also teaching in a tribal seminary in the city, and we're about to start another tribal seminary with the Shipibo tribe a few hours from our city. So if you would have asked me four years ago when I was here talking at the church if I was going to be teaching in three different seminaries with several different tribal groups, not at all in the plan, but that's what the Lord has brought to us, and the Montsays are still our focus, but we can definitely see the broader impact we'll have over the whole Amazon jungle through doing it this way. So, again, I want to encourage you, not that, oh, we're doing this thing in the Amazon jungle, so we're the missionaries, we have to do it. Yes, the Lord has called us to this. But again, he's called you all to the work too. Right? I never want people to think that because we are overseas and we're in this you know, tribal environment that there's something special about us. We are struggling to share our faith just like you all struggle to share your faith. Right? We are trying to take advantage of the opportunities that God has given us, just like you all had these opportunities. So we want you all to be encouraged as well in the Great Commission, not just through us, but through the opportunities that you all have as well. And there are a few ways that you all 
can be involved with us if you all want to. So one, the church supports us and has supported us for a few years, and we're very thankful to the, for the church. We know that you all consistently pray for us. And if I have even halfway explained well our job in the Amazon, you'll realize that we need prayer, right? We are not getting the gospel to all these tribes unless the Lord is at work, right? That's not something that we in our power can do or the Matzes in their power. So please pray for us. Uh, we have prayer cards that I think Julie has. Julie's the cute Latina girl here on the side. Um, we we're going to put them somewhere and we forgot. So uh, they also have our newsletter links. We usually send our newsletters through Facebook, so we can do pictures and video and things, but we can also do it through, um, through email as well for those that don't use Facebook. And another way that you all can get involved is through giving. So no one, I think, enjoys fundraising, right? If you do, you're probably a little weird. But asking people for money is, is never fun. But a long time ago, I realized that it's not asking people for money. It's asking people to partner with us in the Great Commission because the Matzes can't do this alone. They need us. We can't do this alone. We need churches here. You all can't do it alone. You need missionaries. You need all these things. The, the Lord has made the Great Commission to be this messy, complicated thing that takes a long time, that takes sacrifice from everyone involved. And some are called to go, and some are called to stay and give so that others can go. So please don't think when I say that, that I'm saying that the Lord is calling you all to give to us. Maybe. But we're just one of countless options, right? Maybe the Lord would like you all to give more to another missionary that you know or to give more to the local church here so that you can do more local outreaches. We are all, Julie and I included, called to give towards missions and not just be goers. So let's all seek the Lord together and figure out where we should be investing those funds. And then the third way that you all can be involved is a new way that hasn't been available before. So because we were with the Matzais, we could never host people. We could never have teams of people come down to help because it's really hard to get to the Matzais. It's expensive. Uh, we only have 600 pounds of weight on the plane that flies us in. So realistically, that's three adults in backpacks. <laughs> so we've never been able to host teams. But now that we're doing things in the Pukapa, our city area, teams are an option. So hopefully this year we'll be able to get some good options and potentially have a few of you all come down and visit. That'd be great. So that is a very quick summary of what we do. It's us in a nutshell. We train tribal pastors so that they can better lead and equip their own churches and hopefully get the gospel to uncontacted and unreached tribes. But again, we don't want this just to sound like, oh, this is what we do. I hope that you walk out of here encouraged, one, that the Lord is working in the world and that the Great Commission is going forward even in the Amazon jungle. And two, that when you go home, when you go to your schools, when you go to your jobs this week, that it's not just a random occurrence if there's someone there that you can speak the gospel to. It is the Lord that has sovereignly, sovereignly put these people in your path to be missionaries to them. So, I don't speak for very long ever, but I love to do Q&A. So if you all have any questions, that would be great. Some churches have a ton of questions. Some don't have any. Okay. Yes. And I'll have a quick slideshow of pictures because, again, when I say Amazon jungle, most people... Here it goes. Always get animal questions from the kids. They don't have black widows, but they have other really big spiders. There's one that lives in our outhouse. 
<laughs> it's when you don't have a bathroom and you dig a hole in the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Spider is it? Um, the one that lives in our bathroom is a giant wolf spider. So it's about the size of a tarantula, but skinny and fast. Yeah. Uh, Julie has seen, I don't know what we would call them in English, but they're about the size of a bobcat. And we've never seen a jaguar, but um, the guy that said our, is our village dad, like his father was eaten by a jaguar. So, I mean, it, it's a thing. They're rare, but it happens. Yeah. So it's a little different for everyone. Some people don't pass out, but it's very, very common. But you have to throw up. So I actually couldn't throw up, had no desire to throw up. And I finally just said after 15, 20 minutes, guys, get it off of me. I'm done. But you haven't thrown up yet. I don't care. Get it off me. But you haven't thrown up yet. So one of the two guys that was with me, without me knowing, came up behind me and said, I'll help, and gave me the Heimlich. And that made me throw up. And then you're cleansed is how they would say it. Yes, that was after I passed out. As, as long as you throw up, you're good. Yeah. And it's been studied briefly, like way before COVID, so it's found to be a natural everything, a natural antibiotic, stimulant, um, antihistamine. It's a natural everything. And the only pain you felt was the Right, there's zero pain from the frog. Yeah, so to get the... Every family has a frog living in their backyard because they don't go anywhere. They hang out in one tree. And they string the frog up by all fours, and that, I guess, makes it mad or scared, so it secretes more venom. So then they just take a stick and scrape it off. The frog is completely unharmed. It's just uncomfortable. Your limited knowledge of biology, I guess, or medicine, if that, if that, if that technique is going to be brought to modernize, is it somehow they could extract the poison from the frog and inject it to us? Absolutely. Right. So it, it seems to me that it's legitimate medicine. It's been studied. It's legitimate medicine. There's just not a good way to get it into your system without the side effects. And you can actually get it. You can't get the frog, but you can actually get this medicine in the U.S. It's legal. It's called Cambo, K-A-M-B-O. But they only have it at the, what's the best way to say it? Like the hippie medicine retreat centers. I don't mean like essential oils. I mean the, like the blonde-haired, blue-eyed shamans, that sort of thing. Someone sent us a video of a place in, I think, Miami that was doing it. And it's this blonde-haired lady that's going around with her incense, like blessing every corner of the room before she did the ceremony. The Matzais would say, that's stupid. <laughs> the Matzais are really blunt. Like, it's not a... No, it's, it's an Amazonian frog. Mm-hmm. But it's just something that got brought to America for that. But they burn you even here in the U.S. Yeah. How long have they had the New Testament? So the... They've had the New Testament since the 70s or 80s. It was the two Wycliffe ladies that made contact with them 52 years ago. What year would that have been? 68, 69, around there? 70. Yeah, so the two Wycliffe ladies, which, again, the Matzais were specifically famous for stealing women. So Wycliffe sent in two single ladies to make contact. So the Lord works through our weakness, right? <laughs> 
and it worked. Uh, so they were the ones that developed the written language and did it. But apparently the New Testament was very much a paraphrase. So instead of working on the Old Testament, they just finished redoing the New Testament. So they hope to get that in print uh, sometime this year. In the village? Yeah, so in the village, I'm just a church member. And I will do Bible studies and theological training things with the pastors throughout the week. But I don't have a, you know, a role in the church there. It's, it's a non-denominational church. But uh, there's one church in these Montse's villages, and it's the Christian church. So they all adhere to Baptist teachings, but they wouldn't call it that. He's been raising his hand for a while, so. Uh, are there any crocodiles in the river? We have Cayman. It's, it's a black crocodile. Mm-hmm. They're also delicious. Yeah, so one of our prayers for the last eight years that I've been in Peru is that we would get dedicated teammates and it still hasn't happened so it's been awesome to have solomon the proving guy mentioned that has come to help with the seminary but he lives in lima he does his own thing he just comes to help teach and it's a huge help but we still would love to have dedicated teammates and especially now that we're doing things outside of just the montsace village these don't even have to be people that are living in the village off grid all the time they could live in pucapa a little more comfortable and take short trips so it's a little less extreme to partner with us at this point. And what's the distance between the village? Uh, the village is an hour and 40-minute flight. Okay. And again, you've got to be kind of skinny to be on the flight. <laughs> yes? So they accepted us after, well, there's been one other American that has worked with the Montsais since the two Wycliffe ladies left in the 90s. And he's gone down for one week a year to do a, a pastor's training. So we got in with him, met him, and he's actually the head of the sending organization we're with now. And so my first trip to the Montsais was with him, because you don't just go, you have to be invited. So I was invited, and then the next time went with Julie, and uh, we explained this is what we would like to do. And they had about an hour-long meeting because all the pastors were there from all the different villages discussing it. And they get, it sounds like they're fighting when they discuss things. Like someone will stand up and, ah, 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 ah. what did he say? He's very happy that you're here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so after that one hour thing, they said, yes, you can live with us. And then we spent a few more months trying to figure out the village we wanted to live in. And they wanted us to start teaching right away. But I was young, I'm a foreigner. Um, so I didn't want that because that's an authoritative position. So I said, no, we're just going to build our house, live in the village, and kind of earn your respect. The problem with that is I don't have any jungle skills. So I'm kind of like a baby. Like, can, you, can you fish? Yeah. I'm catching a lot more sticks than, than I am fish. Right, so Julie, being a veterinarian and being able to help with that, really helped us get a really good um, reputation built quickly among them because it wasn't just us going in to teach, but we're trying to help them as a people as well. snacks uh there aren't well sugar cane sugar cane is the only 
I guess, sweet thing you get in the jungle besides fruit. So you chop down some sugar cane and chew on it. And it's like just really sweet water. So that's a good snack. Turtle eggs are good too. <laughs> uh, they're gross. <laughs> so monkey is the one meat that doesn't taste like chicken. It has its own very unique flavor. And the matzes used to be cannibals. So I really am always tempted to ask some of the older men, yeah, is this similar? But I'm afraid to. I don't know if that's offensive or not. So, But it's, it's unique. You know you're eating monkey when you eat it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. She, she, she beat you. Make sure the spider goes away when you go to the bathroom. <laughs> no, um, we really don't have to do that much. Um, if you like camping and being off grid for a little bit, it's not bad. So now that we have our own house, um, like we have our um, small, I think it's a four inch mattress that we've taken out. So we're kind of comfortable. We don't have to cook over a fire anymore. We've got a little stove top and a propane tank that we've taken in. So life is significantly easier. Um, most of our day is we will go to the fields and work with them. I'll go hunt and fish with, with the men. But a lot of it is people coming, just asking Bible questions all day or people coming for medical stuff all day. So there are people in our house all the time and we don't have to have that many skills apart from, you know, attending them. But the jungle makes a baby out of everyone. It doesn't matter how skilled you are, how much of, you know, an outdoorsman you think you are. They're going to do everything so much better. So... It's best to just go in admitting you don't know anything and they teach you. Yes? Yeah, they love it. They love Coke. Yeah. Uh, pretty easy, and they are too. So it, they, they can never have a cold drink, but the nearest town is 18 hours away, and at least probably twice a month, someone's going, and people will give orders, and um, they'll come back with things. And they're able to get money through that town. They'll either go and work for a few months and earn money there, or they'll go there and, and sell things, sell meat, sell fish. Um, so they're able to get not a lot of income, but enough to buy the basic needs. So they have things. I didn't know if it's like you're in a situation, hey guys, try this. Yeah. We did that with popcorn. They never had popcorn. And uh, we took stuff in and made s'mores for them one time too. I love s'mores. I loved them. Yeah, s'mores are a hit. It hasn't been. So all the tribes traditionally were what we would call animistic. So it's all spirits. Like you've got to wear amulets or something to keep the spirits away, that sort of thing. But even in the other tribes, Christianity has had such a long influence that most of those things are, are not around anymore. 
which isn't necessarily a good, I mean, it's good that they're not around anymore, but now a lot of the tribes are kind of like Southern Christianity, where everyone would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's very clearly that they're not. So it's very similar. I always compare it to being like in a small Tennessee town where everyone knows each other, everyone knows everyone's business, and everyone says they're a Christian, whether they live it out or not. So it's more the same things that you all deal with here. Yes. Uh, no, we actually haven't been there for a birth, but we, we've not heard of anything special. Or for death, we've been there for one death, and they just—it was a Christian person that died, um, so they had a, a few hours of just the family and the believers praying and weeping together, and then they buried them. So that's a Christian thing, a Christian influence. They didn't used to bury them. They put them in the ground. They have shovels. All right, well, yeah, we will hang out for a little while um, if you all want to ask more questions or talk. And Julie has our prayer cards. She is learning English, so if you say something to her and she just smiles like this, just speak a little slower. Would you close us in prayer and then Connor can come up and close us Okay. Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your church is being built up all over the world, uh, that I can be here in Memphis and in a month go back to the Amazon jungle and that I can worship you uh, with your people. God, thank you for the body of Christ um, and the love that we can all have for one another. God, help us to all see our place in the Great Commission to look for ways to make disciples as we go throughout this week, as we go throughout this new year. God, help us to try to make Jesus known and glorified in all that we do. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you please stand with me.